Hello, and welcome to For the Journey, a podcast offering formation and inspiration to Christians longing for more of God in their lives and in the world. For the Journey is presented by Coracle, a ministry committed to inspiring and enabling people to be the presence of God in the brokenness of the world through spiritual formation for kingdom action. We want to help you grow deeper in your relationship with God so that you can go further into the world with God's loving, healing, redeeming power. For the Journey is a space where each week we hope to help you encounter God and live a more integrated life of faith in the world by offering a regular rhythm of reflections, guided spiritual practices, thoughtful conversations, and more. This week, we share a reflection offered by Dr. Vincent Baycote, director of the Center for Applied Christian Ethics at Wheaton College. Vince invites us to take a close look at Hebrews 1 during the Advent season. He unpacks how this chapter exalts the supremacy of Jesus while setting up what it looks like to follow Christ through the challenging circumstances we all face in different seasons. Here's Vince. privilege to be here uh, see some familiar faces in addition to yours bill and um and what i've been uh thinking about lately or reading a lot lately uh has been uh the book of hebrews which uh may not seem to be like the typical advent book uh but but um but as i was thinking about what to share um i, I want to I want to read all of chapter one and share some observations about that and then uh, talk about how I, I, I think it can be helpful for us. Yeah. Well, let's pray. Well, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to gather together. We thank you for uh, what's possible because of what's in your creation that even makes it possible for us to connect through these um, digital means uh, across the uh, technology. Uh, we thank you for uh, the good ways that, that that technology can provide connection and provide ways for us to um, to learn about you as we encounter each other uh, and see each other face to face in that way. Uh, we pray you would uh, speak to each of us uh, as you see fit as we encounter you uh, through the first chapter of Hebrews. Praise the name of Christ. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors, to the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also, whom also he create, made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. What about the sun, he says? Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. 
a scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. You will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The word of the Lord. So uh, there are lots of things <laughs> that we could observe here. Um, obviously, we can't talk about all of them. So I, I just want to point out a few things that is, is saying here about the supremacy of Jesus. That's a very clear theme throughout the passage. And, this, and this, of course, if this chapter is all you have, then you may be thinking that the book is only about the supremacy of Jesus. But really, this is setting the stage for why the, the, the people that he's writing to and, and then to us, why we need to maintain our commitment and fidelity to Jesus. I mean, because if you think throughout the, throughout the book, when there's warnings and when there's ways of addressing the people throughout, it keeps coming back to all of the unique things about Jesus and his work, all of the things about his superiority, about his finality. And how because of these things and because of what God has done and is doing through Jesus, why it's important to stay the course with him. So I think that that's a way of thinking overall about the book. And it's setting it up at the beginning by, by saying, look who this is. Here is this Jesus, particularly right there at the beginning. Yes, God spoke in many ways in the past. It's not, it's not foreign for God to have spoken. But now God has finally and ultimately spoken through Jesus, that, that, that language in verse two, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So you have very strong language there about who Jesus is. And even when you get to that next verse, the son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, without telling you in terms of a very meta kind of way, it is telling you, do you know who this is, right? The, 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 this is, you know, the word Trinity shows up later. Okay, so the word Trinity is not a word in the Bible, but it's a, it's a word we have for what the Bible reveals to us about who God is and how God's unfolding revelation tells us that we have one God, three persons. And the second person of our triune God is the son. And here, this language, this exalted language about Jesus is telling us about his divinity without saying specifically, hey, he is God. It's, it, it's saying he's God without actually using the, the phrase, yes, he is God. All of this descriptive language is language that is only attributed to God. This language of creation, this language of rule, this language of sustaining the created order. So this is, this is very strong language about who Jesus is. And, and, this, and this Jesus, who is God, has appeared and, and God has spoken through him in the incarnation. I think that's one of the reasons why, while this is looking back 
to the work of Christ, it's good for us to think now, as we're looking forward to Advent about the appearing of Christ, you're thinking about the question, well, who is this one that is born? Who is this one that, you know, that we're going to be celebrating? Well, this one that we're going to be celebrating, that we think about as, as bouncing baby Jesus, if you will, I mean, this is the eternal son. This is the one who's God. This is the one who is superior to the angels. This is the one who made all things. This is the one who sustains all things. And that language at the end of verse three, this is very important also. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. So he's this exalted one. Of course, he's also the one that makes possible the reconciliation of for us with God. He makes it possible for us to have a pathway to God rather than our sins blocking our path to God. He's the one that makes it possible for us to have a pathway toward God. So all this amazing stuff about Jesus already, you could just, you could really just spend like, you know, hours just talking about uh, the, these first three to four verses. But I want to make a couple of observations about uh, the rest of the chapter. Then I want to talk about how I think it can be helpful for us. And then I'll see if anyone has any response of, of reflection uh, as a result. So um, I particularly want to go down to uh, verse six. We'll start there. Um, when he's saying, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So, of course, he, again, he's making the contrast with angels about the superiority of Jesus. And I think in a way this is already saying, look, don't look to anyone else. Don't look to other spiritual beings look alone to God and particularly look alone to the son. This is the one who is superior. In other words, don't be, don't, don't give in to the temptation to be seeing, is there someone else to whom I should be looking if I'm in a situation of desperation? No, I mean, this is the only one that God says, let, you know, let everyone worship him, including the angels, right? So obviously he's superior to the angels if the angels are worshiping him. Right, he's not worshiping the angels. He's the one who is is that is being worshipped. Then also, this is something that jumped out to me. I mean, I've read Hebrews many times, many times, and for whatever reason, recently noticing verse eight jumped out to me like it it hadn't ever before. But about the son, he says, "Your throne of God will last forever." Okay. That part is familiar, but then this part, a scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Isn't it interesting that one of the points being made here about him is, yes, he is the exalted king. But what's part of the fact that he's the exalted king is that he has the scepter of justice. Now, unfortunately. You know, I mean, I'd like to perform an act of the imagination and wish that there were Christians right now for whom if you say justice, they don't think you're a communist. But the fact is, unfortunately, there are some people that think if you don't talk about, if you talk about justice or if you talk about justice uh, in certain ways, 
strangely, you know, this these books behind me would turn into a flag with a hammer and sickle behind me, right? I mean, but 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 the fact of the matter is, of course, is that no, if you're talking about justice, it seems you're, you're you're talking about the one who has saved you and the one who's made all things. Because part of who he is, part of what makes him distinctive, and part of, again, what ought to be part of our motivation for, you know, worshiping him, following him, if you will, holding on to him in, in difficult times, is because he is the one with the scepter of justice. In other words, justice is God's idea. Right. It's, it's not like Marx's idea or Nero's idea or somebody else's. I mean, it's God's idea. And so characteristic of who the son is, is that he is the one with the scepter of justice. It's very interesting to me. I, I don't know why it jumped out to me. I mean, after all these years reading the book of Hebrews, it jumped out to me. Look at this. He is the one with the scepter of justice. That's part of who he is. That's part of the case being made for his exaltation here, for emphasizing his superiority, for emphasizing him as this last word, as this final word from God. And as one who has the scepter of justice, the scepter of his kingdom, which means his kingdom is a kingdom that takes justice seriously. And of course, justice is all kinds, whether it's restorative, retributive, et cetera. But the point is, is that justice is inescapable. And then, of course, as many of us know, the language for righteousness and the language for justice are two sides of the same coin. I think about righteousness and things being in accordance to God's standards. Verse 9, you've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, you got to set you, set you above your companions and anoint you with the oil of joy. In other words, that, 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 again, characteristic of him is the one who loves the ways of God loves things according to the standard of God. And, and of course, again, this is, this, this, is the, this is what justice is about. I mean, it's having a zeal for God's righteousness, a zeal for the way that God wants things to be. And so he's one who, and of course, we know that Jesus puts that into practice, but he also doesn't just put it into practice so that we can say, it's very nice that you did that, but it's because, I mean, he is displaying for us you know, what true justice is. So that, that justice dimension, I think it's also uh, something that, that that's important to consider. And, and I guess there's one other thing I want to say about that. I mean, it tells us that if we have a concern for justice, you know, it is not something that escapes God's concern, right? Because in a way you can say, it's like God saying, look, justice is what I did. Right? Justice is part of what I'm about. So it, it really is uh, inescapable. To, and, if, and if you care about justice, irrespective of what kinds of opposition there, there may be, well, you do know who is on your side when you care about justice. And then uh, just a couple of other things here. In verse 10, talking about the fact that, you know, uh, again, that it's talking about Jesus here laying the foundations of the earth. We've already you know, had the language earlier about him being the one that formed the universe. But it's emphasizing that again, you laid the foundation of the earth, heavens are the work of your hands. But, but it's not just the fact that he's the creator of these things, but his permanence, even as within that creation, there's cycles of life and death. There's cycles of things that come and go, including, of course, kingdoms that come and go, rulers that come and go, right? You know, 
I once when I was a kid and perhaps even sometimes when I'm an adult, you, know, you, you can have this sense when there are people of prominence and people of um, success, if you will, that um, seem like they're just going to last forever. But the fact is, is that, you know, there's a shelf life for all those things, right? All of them eventually have an expiration date, if you will, right? I mean, and, and there's some legacy of whatever those, those versions of success or prominence are, but they're not legacies of permanence because those things always have a terminus. They always have an end. In contrast, you know, Jesus remains forever and ever and ever and ever. So the contrast of his eternality with the impermanence of other, of all, 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 really all manner of other things within the created order, right? In the end of verse 12, you remain the same, your years will never end. And then just that, like that in 13, you know, sit at my right hand to make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The point is, he's already at the right hand of the Father, this place of authority, power, and glory. And he, and, and he it's a place where he's sitting until he comes and, and set things right. But, but, but what is it telling us? I mean, it says until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Um, Kind of hard to be a post-millennialist if you have that kind of reading, by the way, not, not to get into all those particularities. But, but if, if God is the one that's making the enemies the footstool, right? I mean, it also reminds us that, you know, God is the one who is active in bringing about the end to all the things that are his enemies, all the things that are in opposition to him in the world. I think something that, that can happen to us is whenever there's opposition, whenever there's great evil, when things go on and on, in our experience, the intensity of those things can give us the impression that, you know, they're, they're going to go on forever and ever. They're, they're, they're never going to end. But what, but what, whenever I preach about things eschatological, I always like to say, we're tempted to believe that there's a period after those things. But really, there's a comma after all of those things, right? The period on all of these things is really what, what's here in chapter one, right? Jesus is the period, right? And when, and when he comes and when he is the period, then all of those things that have come before that have, you know, barked and growled and made themselves large and made themselves terroristic, you know, all of them will be put under, they'll be made a footstool, right? They, they, they will be vanquished. You know, and the kingdom will be the Lord's and all will be as God wants it to be. And we will have shalom forever and ever. And the point with all of this in the meantime is, is as we're thinking about Advent, as we're th looking to the return of Christ, as we're looking to the return of Christ in a time of great division, great agitation, uh, a lot of things that might make us want to scream at times, perhaps. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus remains. Jesus, who is superior, Jesus, through whom God has spoken as the ultimate, as the final word. And because he has spoken through him and because we know he is going to come again and he will be the period. That means that whatever is going on, right, it's all in borrowed time and does not escape God's eye because God cares about justice and God was going to do what is right. 
If we know that God's going to do what is right, then we need to hitch our wagons to him, keep looking to him, and then, you know, trust him no matter how noisy it gets, how scary it gets, how windy it gets, how choppy the seas get, that we just stay with him, looking to him, and letting him sustain us through the challenges that are before us. And I'll stop with that. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to For the Journey. We hope you'll join us again next week. And in the meantime, you can explore past episodes and see what we're up to at inthecoracle.org and on social media at inthecoracle. If you were blessed by what you just heard, please subscribe as we'll be releasing new episodes each week. Please also feel free to rate and review the show and share this episode around with others who might be blessed by it. For the Journey is made possible by the generous support of our Coracle partners, the wonderful men and women who choose to support this ministry through their prayers and financial gifts. If you're one of our partners and are listening, we are so grateful for you. If you would like to join us as a sustaining partner, you can set up a monthly donation of any amount at inthecoracle.org support. The link is in the show notes. Our growing community of partners gets access to tailor-made resources, gifts, and events, and we would love for you to be a part of that. Our theme song is Mystery Hymn from our friends at Lowland Hum. Please give them a listen wherever you get your music. And so, friends, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen, and we will see you on the journey. Let me spend